0: As we continue our study of face-to-face with the authentic Christ, our study leader, Dave Wortson invites us to open our Bibles to John 14 and discover why even believers wrestle with depression, discouragement, and the absence of personal peace. Some of you are probably very depressed. Some of the depression, I believe, happens because of an intense struggle that's going on. And there is a peace buster, and he is the prince of this world. Look at chapter 14, verse 30, to look at the enemy. It says, I will not speak with you much longer. The Lord is saying at the Last Supper, I'm not going to be able to speak with you much longer. Why? For the prince of this world is coming. What the Lord Jesus is saying is, I'm not going to be able to talk to you much more at the Last Supper. I'm not going to be able to carry on much more of a discourse, because Judas has left... And Satan has entered into Judas, and one of the most intense conflicts that's ever taken place in this planet, one of the most intense wars, one of the most intense firefights that's ever taken place, is going to occur. Judas is saying, I can't talk to you much longer, because the prince of this world has come. You know, I think the whole dimension of the prince of this world has come needs to be re-emphasized among believers. I think it's very important for us to recognize that when we invite Christ into our life, He does not invite us to a peaceful, quiet vacation. He invites us to join a war. And the essence of warfare is that there is an enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 says not to put on your Bermuda shorts and your sunglasses, does it? I've never read in the Bible, put on your Bermuda shorts and your Hawaiian shirt and lay back and have an easy. Instead it says put on the whole what? Armor of God. Why? Because your enemy, like a roaring lion, is out there seeking whom he may devour. Now our Lord, who was the Prince of Peace, which means that he's the one that can bring peace. He's ultimately the one that will institute a kingdom of peace. What he's saying is that I am getting ready to enter into this terrific conflict with the prince of this world. But I want you to notice something he says. This prince of this world who is coming has no hold on me. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Now, what in the world? Those are enigmatic statements. They're, they're mysterious statements. What does it mean that the prince of this world is coming? You can get that. I've explained it. Jesus is getting ready to face the Satan himself in the person of Judas, a friend that betrays him, in the person of Caiaphas and Annas who are going to sell him, These religious leaders who hypocritically are going to condemn an innocent man. He's going to face a Roman pilot who's just going to go along with the crowd. He's going to be brutally massacred. He's going to have nails put through his hands. Nothing beautiful. The cross was not Jesus hanging on a cross in a beautiful church, which often happens at the nativity kind of time when a lot of the churches now are going through the entire life of Christ. And it's a very moving scene. But the cross itself, if we were to really see the cross, it would make us sick to our stomach. We wouldn't be able to take it. It would be R-rated because the violence would be so intense. And Jesus is getting ready to face that kind of conflict. So none of us can say, well, Lord Jesus, you don't know what conflict is like. You see, I can't say to him, Jesus, you just don't know what it's like to be worried about Mary's dad. You don't know what it's like to wait here. You've never experienced that. He said, oh, yeah. A soldier getting ready to jump into the blackness can't say, well, Lord Jesus, you don't know if he's a believer in that airplane. He can't say, well, Jesus, you don't know what this is all about. You don't know what fear is all about. You don't know what facing death is all about. He says, oh, yes, I do. I know it much more than you ever knew. Because I knew exactly what was coming. I knew that I would die. No soldier going into battle knows for sure he's going to die. There might be a good probability. Every soldier wishes I'm going to be the one that makes it. A lot of my buddies that have done that, they never jump out of airplanes saying, well, this is it, I'm going to die. I know I'll die. No, they all believe, no, I'm going to make it. Jesus knew he would face the worst. Jesus knew the enemy was coming, and He knew the enemy would have a hold of Him, would be able to attack Him. But it says that the enemy had no hold on Him. Now, what does that mean? What it means is that there was nothing in Jesus' life, there was nothing in His personality where Satan could gain a foothold. You see, what destroys us is that when we go through hard times, when we face the challenge, In our old fleshly self, outside of Christ, there are footholds that Satan can get a hold of. And that's what destroys our confidence. That's what destroys our peace. You see, Jesus had no area of his life that Satan could grab a hold of. You say, well, Dave, what good does that do me? Because in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about what Jesus promises. You see, Satan can get a foothold into my life. Satan can cause me to be terrified. Satan can cause me to just jump out of my skin when I'm worried. He can cause me to be wanting to run, to turn chicken in terrorizing situations. Or even he can cause me just to melt when I'm just depressed. You see, Satan can get all kinds of footholds in me. But my Savior, there's no foothold. So as I allow him to permeate my life, as I'm very honest about the footholds that Satan can get in me, and I cling to my Savior, and I allow Jesus to live through me, Satan can't get a foothold then. So the Christian life becomes this process of leaning upon the one that Satan can't get a foothold in him. There's no handhold for Satan. Satan can't get him. That's what Jesus is saying. The prince of this world has no hold on me. Nobody else can ever say that. Satan's much too powerful for every one of us. But not the Son of God. So that's the prince of this world. The prince of peace is in conflict with the prince of this world. Calvary was the most intense battle, but that battle is continuing in the world. And I think it will really help you if you recognize don't feel so badly if it doesn't feel gentle and calm. If there's family conflicts, if you're trying to work out the arguments with the kids if you're trying to to handle all the jealousy between parents because you spent ten minutes longer at this family than you did with this family. Because that's life. As long as we're in this world, there's a tremendous conflict. You know what? The prince of this world hates it when your family gets together and there is peace. He hates it. He hates it when a husband puts his arm around his wife and says, Honey, I really love you. And I should tell you that every day, but I want to especially remind you that I'm so thankful that you're God's gift to me. In fact, every time one of you husbands or vice versa, one of you wives or one of the kids, it moves in their heart. Mom and dad, I really love you. Every time that we go to have those impulses, think about it. You go to have the impulse. Some of you husbands will have an impulse. I should express my love. But you don't say it. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you have had an impulse? Somebody did something, especially within your family. You know, you have an impulse. You're walking by your son, and he's discouraged. And you've got an impulse. I should put my arms on his shoulder and say, I just want you to know I really love you. You're really special to me. How many of you, if you think about it, when you get that pull, that impulse, there's something inside of you that says, no, I'm not going to do that. And you walk right on. Why? Because there's a battle. Satan is the one that keeps arms in. He puts fists out. He puts coarse words, harsh words. There's a tremendous battle going on between the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, and the Prince of this world. Now, the Prince of this world today is expressing a lot of the conflict through his disciples, those that are following him, all those outside of Christ, all those that reject who the true Son of God is, and instead of putting themselves under the the sovereignty and the rulership of Jesus Christ... They're living under the prince of this world, living for his values. Look at some of the things that Jesus talks about the world of hate. Look at John 15 and let's clarify the enemy a little bit further. Look at John 15:18 and following. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world that is why the world hates you. Remember the words that I spoke to you. What is the Lord saying? You know, I find it tremendously helpful if I'm going to go into a hard time. Like if, if in athletics, when we were playing athletics, if a coach would tell me we're going to go into a really hard game, this opposition is so and so and so and so, and so when I was playing quarterback, if he would tell me this linebacker weighs 225 pounds, he runs the 60-yard dash and 4'6", and there's a good chance he's going to get by our tackle about five times during the game, and he's going to totally massacre you. I found that helpful. You know, it was helpful in the sense that at least when it happened, I knew it was coming. It wasn't like the coach said, well, Dave, I didn't want to tell you. And then I go in and my shoulder's dislocate dislocated and everything else because I'm never even looking for the God. Jesus is doing that kind of thing. What he's telling us is that as we go out into the world, there's going to be conflict. And if you'll just put that into your cranium, if you'll realize as I live in the world, there are going to be those that have an antithesis against me. They hate me. They don't like me because I'm a believer. Because I do know Christ. You see, a lot of the rejection that's in the world is because someone doesn't belong to our group. Someone is not a member of our group. In an extreme case, if you think about the racial issue, you know why why the racial issue produces so much hostility? Because it's between people who have a sense that they don't belong. You see, and what we do is we gravitate towards people where we feel we belong. And we all get together in that group where we feel we belong. And then we build walls around that group and we're hostile towards other groups where we don't feel we belong. You've done that from the time you were little tiny kids on the playground at school. Think about the kids that did not belong. Weren't there some kids that didn't belong? And what did you do to the kids? What did the kids that did belong, what did they do with the ones that didn't belong? They teased them. Sometimes it was even uh, very hostile. Sometimes it even hurt them. They beat them up. That's this tremendous antagonism. There's a real break when we have a sense in our life that this person doesn't belong. This person is not part of our group. Well, as believers, one of the things you need to understand as you're in this conflict with the prince of this world is you don't belong. Some of you say, well, Dave, I cannot understand. My boss just is irrationally uptight with me. Sometimes my boss just lets me have it. I'm trying to do a good job. Trying, I get there to work on time. I try to go the second mile. I really try to do everything right. And my boss just comes totally unglued against me. Now, if you're doing a lousy job, then probably there's a good reason for him to come against you. But you also need to realize if you're doing a good job and you're really loving the person, you're trying to do the very best, and he still or she still comes on with great hostility, it can very much be because you're a believer. You know, I find in a group that you can be moving along in a group, like in an assembly or something with people when you're speaking, and you can be going along and you can, be, you can be talking about, you know, Christmas is about the joy and the love of celebration. It's about family warmness. And I can even go on and say that Christmas is about an innocent little baby that was born in a manger. And I find that there's peace in the audience. as I go on and say but Christmas is also about the reason why the baby was born, because we are sinful. And we are enemies of God, and we're not reconciled to God. There are not men of goodwill. That the King James Version of that verse, peace on earth to men of goodwill, is not an accurate translation of that verse because there aren't any men of goodwill on the earth. It's peace on earth upon those upon whom God's favor rests. It's all of grace. God doesn't look upon the earth and say, ha, there's a man with goodwill. Let's give the Son of God to him. Ah, there's another. Look at that precious woman. She wanted the Son of God to come so much. We'll let the Son of God come to her. That's not what, what it's saying. God didn't look over the earth and say, oh, the world's full of goodwill. Let's send the Son of God. The world was full of brutality, was full of violence. It was full of immorality, was full of materialism, was full of everything that the world's full of today. But God in His grace sends His Son upon those who He gives His favor to, unmerited favor to a world that doesn't deserve it. That's what the Christmas story is about. And when I start talking like that, and I talk about Jesus stretching in his arms on Calvary, all of a sudden, people, you can feel it, not like in a gathering of believers, but like in an assembly gathering or an audience where there's a mixture. Suddenly, there's a tremendous dividing line. And when you talk about the gospel, the believers start to say, yes, yes, that's meaningful to me. And an unbeliever will be saying, those stupid believers again, a preacher again. They're, they're telling us we've got to be born again. A funeral that I did recently, some of the people in our church heard a couple people talking as they walked out of the funeral saying, those stupid preachers. Every time I go to a funeral, if it's a biblical preacher, they tell you you've got to be born again. The audacity. There's hostility there. Now, how do I feel when I hear that? Well, you know, I'm thinking in my heart. Honestly, I'm thinking in my heart, well, maybe I shouldn't. You know, maybe I I shouldn't have done that. Maybe it wasn't the appropriate time. I don't like someone to be hostile. Jesus said, David, you need to get ready for the conflict. When you go out into the world, because you don't belong. Because you don't belong, there's going to be hostility because you're a member of a different kingdom. And you've got to realize that. You're not going to ever have the peace of Christ if you're constantly trying to have peace with unbelievers. And by the way, you won't help unbelievers if you're trying to always bring about peace with them. If you're always trying to make things smooth, you're an unloving person. If you're always trying to eliminate conflict, You're not being truthful and honest. You're not telling the truth. You're much more concerned about the way people think about you. Because the truth produces conflict. The Lord's had to really teach me that in counseling. When I first started counseling, you know, pastors want people to like them. Most pastors don't stay in towns very long. So the pastorate is usually the biggest political situation. You want to find really good politicians? Look in pulpits. That's where they are. You want to find guys that really can speak? Don't look in the political scene. They can't speak at all. You want to find the communicators. They're in the pulpit. We make a living doing that. The problem is we also often make a living trying to make everybody peaceful. And what I mean by that, trying to make everybody non-hostile and everybody getting along and being very political. And that's wrong. Because you don't love people until you tell them the truth. Jesus was someone that was willing to produce tremendous hostility. Not because he was angry himself, not because he was uptight himself, but because he was just so truthful, so honest, so full of love. He was so different from what Satan's kingdom was that he came into mortal conflict with Satan's kingdom. Now, I don't like conflict, and that's why Jesus' words to me are very important. If you're going to enter into the peace... You've got to accept the fact that you're on a battlefield in mortal conflict with a system that's totally opposed to what we believe. And so peace is wrestling in that struggle to represent Christ until we go home to the land of peace. They rejected Christ. Look at verse 20. They rejected Christ. They're going to reject us. Chapter 15, verse 20. It says this. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. So it's not all conflict. You see, if they reject Jesus, they're going to reject followers of Jesus. If they accept Jesus, if they accept the word of Jesus, then there's going to be a tremendous bond. And you'll always hear believers say, you know, I just met this believer. We've just got to know one another. Maybe you went to a party and you meet some new believers and you'll find yourself at the end of the evening say, boy, it just seems like we've known one another all of our lives. How many of you have ever said that? Why is that? Because you belong. Jesus is saying if they obey his teaching, there will be a a unity. There will be a cohesion right from the very start. So there's not only the hostility towards the world, But we're not alone because there's a tremendous community among those who follow the Lord. Now, all that's pretty bad news. The fact that we're going to face this hostility from the prince of this world, that we're going to be rejected by people, we're going to be persecuted just like the Lord was. It's the truth. And it will be a lot easier in your life. You see, I find it really easy if rather than saying, oh, no, I'm fatalistically locked in. Every other year, something horrible will happen. You see, to be honest with you, a whole life you have that kind of thinking in your heart. Mary was honest about that. She says, David, I have a sense of foreboding. Every other year, here we go again. So when we get the news, your father has to have open heart surgery, we go, ha, the fates have got us. No, they haven't. There aren't any fates. You want to eliminate this part of the calendar? Our family, we're going to take care of this. We're going to eliminate from December 15th to January 15th. Just get rid of those days and everything will be happy ever after. Baloney. Catastrophe will strike another time. There aren't any fates. And my heavenly Father says, Dave, you're in the world. There's heart problems in the world because of the fallenness of the human body. There are emotional problems in the world. There is death in the world. Probably you will have to do funerals as a pastor around Christmas time. Because there's a conflict. There's hostility. The kingdom has not come in all of its fullness yet. Now, if you want to live in your never-never land and you want to run away from all those problems, you can try, but you'll never be able to get away. What I try to do when I'm speaking to you is share my journey with you. And I try to be very honest about my journey. I am uptight waiting to get calls. I do have sleepless nights because we're in a tremendous conflict. I'm not always up. Sometimes I'm very down because we are in a conflict. And your love for me is a ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us all through that conflict. And I minister to you because we're all in this together. And that leads us to some tremendous good news. You've all heard about the coming of the baby in the manger, Jesus invading the planet. Do you know that Jesus is present right here? You know that. But you often don't live like that and believe that and receive confidence in wrestling with everyday problems from that jesus says something incredible i want you to look at it chapter 14 verses 15 and 16. have your parents ever told you something and you go huh your parents now this is for your good how many young people ever had your parents say now this is for your good and you went "Huh? right i've heard that before right well this is one of those statements where an adult says this is for your good but we don't believe it verse 15 it says if you love me you will uh, verse 15 in chapter 14. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He's going to give us another counselor that's going to be with us forever. He tells the disciples, if you look over a little bit further, look at chapter 16, verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where am I going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. Because Jesus expressed to them that he was going to die. But I tell you the truth, Truth. here we go. It is good for you that I am going away. And all of God's people said, no, you're not. It is good for me, Jesus said, that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. When He comes, He will. And it tells us about what He's going to do. You know, those are some of the hardest words in the Bible. Because I don't think many of you really believe that. And I'll be honest, probably I don't believe it. You You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, it is better that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I can't give you this special gift. And I don't think a lot of us believe that. If I were to give you a choice, okay, you can get in a time machine and you can be one of the shepherds and Gabriel the archangel makes the announcement. You can have that choice and live back then and actually hear the angel's voice and go to the manger or you can live now. What's your choice? I'll say, I'll give you another choice. We'll let you be on the Galilean hillsides will let you eat the multiplied bread and the loaves, the loaves and the fishes. Then we'll let you go to Lazarus' grave and we'll let you watch Lazarus come forth. Now, how many of you want to do that or you want to live now? And I'll bet you almost every one of you would say, I want to live back then. Because probably every one of you in your Christian life has said, if only I could hear the voice. If only I could see it, then I would know for sure. Now, listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, "It is better that I go away." Later on in John, it says, "Blessed are those who have not seen." And the implication is, more blessed, more fulfilled, more happy, more able to enter into all that God the Father wants for them, are those who have not seen and yet believe. I want you to be excited about this gift. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift. If I go away, it's going to be better. Now, you've got to accept that by faith. Because if I go away, I'm going to give you a gift. And that's an incredible gift. And that gift is the gift of the counselor, the advocate. You see, Jesus, when he was here on earth, would pray to the Father for his disciples. He would be their representative. In John 17, there's the true Lord's Prayer where Jesus prays for his disciples. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send another person just like me. In fact, he's distinct from me, but he's one with me. And the great mystery of the Trinity, I'm going to send the invisible, our invisible partner, you might say, in the Trinity... And He's going to come to you and just like I am an advocate for you and just like I plead your case before the Father, just as I express how you know, the, the, the relationship which you have, the Holy Spirit's going to do that for you. The Lord Jesus said, it's better that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send the counselor of truth. The gift as a pastor teacher that I want to give you is I want you to start to think about the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus dwelling in our life. I want you to think about some things that John says about him. First of all, he's the Counselor of Peace. I want you to look at John chapter 14, verse 25. All this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Verse 27, it almost sounds like the announcement when Jesus was born. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let it be afraid. Now, let's think about those words. I don't give peace, Jesus says, like the world gives it. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Now, what is he saying? The world gives peace. If you'll think about... Secular peace. Secular peace is the Berlin Wall coming down. If you were to go, in fact, I wish we all could have been there. When the announcement was made, that the Berlin Wall was coming down. It's mind-boggling. The way the world has been since I was born, a world that I just assumed, has totally radically changed. And the world's peace is Germans flooding through the Brandenburg Gate. There is peace in that. We've seen stirring sagas in the movies about the passion of people to be free, and there's celebration. There's peace in that. Tremendous peace. But you know what happens? We're free. We're the dream of every land on earth. Everyone wants to come to live here. If you talk to people in other parts of the world, you live in heaven. Do you? I still talk to people about suicide, broken homes, financial struggles. Is there really peace in the United States of America? You see, the world's peace turns into Scrooge. You say, well, Dave, what does Jesus mean? He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What he says is, I'm waiting for the telephone to ring. And the telephone, the reality of the matter is, because it's already happened in my life, so it's not like I'm saying, oh, it'll never happen. It does happen. The telephone could ring, and when the ring goes and I pick it up, Mary can say, Dad, it's gone. I've already had that happen, so I know that's real. I have it happen from a lot of you. So it's not pretend, and I don't say, oh, It'll never happen. Let's keep our eyes up and let's be positive because it'll never happen because it does happen. And I want to share with you when you're saying, oh, it'll never happen. I told Mary, John will never die. I've got a real confidence he won't die. Baloney, how do I know whether he'll die or not? He did die. That's the way the world is. So you say, well, how can Jesus say, let not your heart be troubled? He says this. You know what? Peace is in the Christian life. This is peace. Father, I am on pins and needles because I'm a human being and I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm scared to death of death because I've never experienced it. And I don't want Joshua and Janae not to have a grandfather that can tell them stories about little chipmunks. I want him to be alive for for a few more years at least. And I can talk to the Lord about all that. So can you. And what peace is, it's the Holy Spirit saying, nothing can separate you from the love of God. If dad dies, which is part of the reality of living in a sinful world, you will cry, the kids will cry, it will be very difficult but it's not the end of peace because I have conquered death. And you're going to have to believe, and it will be hard to believe until your faith becomes sight. But as you wait for that call, you are not facing total uncertainty, no answers, believing in the fates, hoping for the best. You know what peace is? It's resting in the dependability of a person. And that's what this divine person inside your heart, it's what he does for you. And it's a tremendous struggle. You see, the Christian life is peace in the Christian life is a struggle to learn to rest in the spirit, to learn to put your weight on the spirit, to learn and depend upon Him. And He is not uptight about the fact that that's a struggle. That's why He came here. He came here to help us to enter into the belief in the world of the invisible, the world of Jesus, the world of victory over death. And all that I can share with you is that as you experience it, there's tremendous strength in that. There is tremendous strength. And it's not a denial kind of strength. It's not like people that I work with that will face terrible circumstances and they pretend like they never even happened. It's not like that at all. It's a total realism, understanding exactly what happened, but being able to work through and being able to rest in the dependability of the Spirit of God, and the dependability of Jesus and the dependability of God. You know what? When Jesus was here in his flesh, when he was here in the flesh, Jesus could not be in my study. He could not be at your house. He could not be at work. Now he was because he was God. But that ministering, omniscient, omnipotent presence was not dwelling in a special sense in all the disciples when Jesus dwelled on the earth, but he is now. Because I just told you a little bit of my story of the week. Of the Holy Spirit saying, let not your heart be troubled. We can make it through this time. And some of the answers that he gave. But I could go around this room and I will bet you that that same Holy Spirit in deep in many of your hearts ministered as well. And he spoke the truth into your heart. And he gave you confidence. And he gave you the courage to go on. And he gave you the power to be able to express the love of Christ. And that's the great gift. Because because Jesus has ascended to heaven and sent his spirit. Now the spirit of God dwells in all of our hearts. Ministering the kind of peace that I just talked about. He gives us eternal life. It says in John 14 verse 19. It relates to what I talked about, that death couldn't separate it from God. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you will also live also. You will live also. And what Jesus is saying is that because he rose again from the dead, the Spirit of God comes into our life, the Spirit of Christ comes into our life, then we will live as well. And also the Spirit is the giver of relationship with God. Look at verse 20 and 21. It says... On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's an incredible statement. The Holy Spirit is promising us that He'll bring us peace, that He will give us eternal life, that He will give us relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying, that we become one in intimate union with God, so that when I go through this struggle about death, when I go through fearful news, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit go through all of that with me. We're a team. We're in this together. And it's so great not to be alone. The worst feeling in crisis is to be alone. And the Holy Spirit's saying you're never alone when you're in Christ because the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. And He brings the entire Trinity to to bear upon your life. I want to close with this. You see, we've talked about the peace busters. Who is that? The prince of this world and his kingdom who are in opposition to God. They didn't know Jesus they, and they rejected him, so they reject us. We've talked about the peace bringers, the counselor of peace. He's the spirit of truth. He's the true guide. In chapter 14, verse 26, and I just want to put a, a little quotation marks here. We don't know how meaningful it is to have the true God. An SMU professor trained at Berkeley, one of the elite universities of our land, got involved with a spiritual guide, not in New York City, not in Rio de Janeiro, but in Dallas, at a Methodist school. And this spiritual guide was taking them into the higher regions of learning, into the ultimate truths. And Jesus came, supposedly, with the other masters. And this elite group of 20 began to move through the echelons of learning with their spiritual guide giving them guidance. Where did the spiritual guide lead them? To a double suicide in a North Dallas home where nobody even found them until their bodies were stench. It's possible from the youngest child to the oldest adult for us to think that it's nice what we've done here today. I find that true with me. I grew up with the truth. When you can't remember not ever not having something, it's easy not to appreciate it. Very few of us, very few of us appreciate the fact that we've been able to come and I'm able to tell you about the Holy Spirit. I'm able to talk to you about a guide into all truth. I'm able to tell you about the Son of God who came in the flesh. I'm able to tell you about the cross. I'm able to tell you all these things that we all know so well. We forget we're in a tremendous conflict because there are other spiritual guides. You say, well, David, is that something new? No, mandeism. Very early in the church history, there was a, a group called the mandeists. It's a movement that was called Gnosticism. Some of you have heard that word, Gnosticism, knowledge. The knowledgeable ones. You know what? If you read Gnostic literature, it reads just like the Dallas Morning News, only it was written in the first and second centuries A.D. Same thing. Groups of intimate people, very secret groups who have the special knowledge, who have the masters come and they move up through the echelons, moving towards union with God through the different supernatural beings. It's exactly what they were teaching in Gnosticism, one of the first heresies the church faced. When you're involved in drugs, you start to enter into that world. When you enter the occult, you enter a world of death. These individuals shared, some of those that had come out, shared how this movement would just make them long to take their life because then they could be totally united with God. You say, well, Dave, what can we do about it? We are on a mission. The Holy Spirit has not been given into our life for us to just have a courier and Ives Christmas. There's going to be times of recuperation. There's times of R&R but there also needs to be times of tremendous invasion. The Holy Spirit was given into our lives not just to bring us internal peace, to move us towards that, not just to give us the truth to dwell in our own hearts, not just to give us joy and all that the fruit of the Spirit brings, but the Holy Spirit was given into our hearts to send us on a mission the Holy Spirit has come into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Okay, how many of you have unbelieving relatives? Quite a few of you. There's a mission. You bring the presence of the Spirit, the presence of Christ into that situation. How many of you have been at parties at your work where people were talking freely and sharing together? How many of you have been at parties over the last couple of weeks? How many of you were at parties where there were unbelievers present? All of us have. Do you realize you're on a mission? Every contact, every situation you're in, you're on a mission. And it's not a mission of, oh, no, I need to tell them about Christ. You are a representative. You have received the gift of the divine presence. And that divine presence in your life is convicting people about sin. And it's not convicting them. You're a bad person. You took a drink. You're a bad person because you smoke. You're a bad person because you don't go to church. They already know they're a bad person because they do all those things. What the Holy Spirit does is convict them not about all of those sins, but He convicts them about the only sin that will send them to hell. And that's the mission we're on. The only sin that sends anybody to hell is one sin. It says in John 16, He convicts the world of sin Because they believe not. You're on a mission. People say, man, you know, what's going on with your life? What's changing your life? Why are you so different? You must have gotten church. And so you go, yeah, we have a beautiful church. It's a nice brick building. We even have a gymnasium. And you know what? You can come to our church and you don't even have to get dressed up if you don't want to. If you want to, you can wear really nice suits, but you don't have to. You can wear your jeans. I'm really excited about church. Person scratched it in and says, man, what kind of a weird group are they into? The Holy Spirit in your life to say, I haven't found religion. I found a person. A forgiving person. A person that loved me so much. He's a friend that does what a true friend has to do. He has to give his life for you. That's all that I found. You know what? You can find him too. In fact, he's right here. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you really thought about who Jesus really was? And then just stop. Just let them think about it. That's being on a mission. Second of all, he convicts the world of sin because they believe not. He convicts the world of righteousness because Jesus has ascended to the Father. You see, the world doesn't understand that Jesus is the right one. You hear all kinds of debate. How do you know who the true Messiah is? I'll tell you how. It's the Messiah that can walk into the throne room of heaven And have his father say, sit at my right hand. That's the Messiah I'm going to trust. Not a North Dallas spiritual medium. I can see little ghosts coming up in my living room. I can go to seances where they float tables, where they apparently have dead people talk to me. I would stay millions of miles away from that, but you might see lightning from heaven, and don't you believe it unless you see nail prints in his hands. And the next time he comes, you won't have any, any doubt that he's coming because you'll be gone in a split second in time and you won't have any argument. You'll be with him in his arms because he is the one who is righteous. That's what John means. He convicts the world of sin because they believe not. He convicts the world of righteousness because Jesus is righteous. And only by receiving him into our life can we have righteousness. And thirdly, he convicts the world of judgment. And I close with this. He convicts the world of judgment. Because the prince of this world has been cast down. I've told you about a conflict. But you know what? The conflict's already been won. The prince of this world has been cast down. He has illegitimate authority. As we believe in the Son, as we put our confidence in the Son, as we allow this tremendous gift of the Holy Spirit to permeate our lives, we are totally set free. It's very important to ask yourself, are you submitting to that spirit within the spirit of Christ? Are you bowing before him? Are you allowing him to control your life? There's nothing more miserable than a believer who's received this most precious of all gifts, the presence of the spirit of Christ dwelling right in their life, and they continually disregard him. You go places you know he doesn't want to go. You get ready to do something, and inside of you as a believer, the Spirit of Christ is saying, no, you shouldn't do that. No, I will be miserable going there with you because it's not really what I'm into. It's not really what will make you happy. And you say, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Nothing more miserable than a believer that does that. Nothing more miserable than a believer who has a crying Holy Spirit in their life. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Nothing more miserable. An unbeliever that's a rank unbeliever is much happier than a believer that's grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, they're not in a better condition, the unbeliever, but they are happier. So I would challenge you. You're in a conflict. You've received the most precious of all gifts. Don't grieve them. The struggle for peace in the Christian life is the struggle to allow that precious Holy Spirit to conquer our pride and cause us to submit to Him. And then like fruit coming out of a vine with water, with life and time, with the precious gifts of God, fellowship, teaching, all of those things, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, and peace begin to be produced in a life.